morning. I wasn't sure how many of us would be here today with all the many things going on and trying to cross roads. It's very exciting to see your faces looking back, especially Teresa's former student of mine from King's when I worked there. Total surprise to see her this morning. So welcome, Teresa. Oh, we have been going through the book of Acts this summer. The Holy, like what the Holy Spirit has been doing in the lives of individuals and in that early church, Ryan has encouraged us to notice where the Holy Spirit is pushing and shaping and energizing us. There's so much good stuff packed into this, these verses today, this story, that we had to have three readings today, and even then we can barely scratch the surface with the amazing content that is in this reading that we have today. This is often called the story of Cornelius's conversion, which is true, but as we know, more than one thing can be true at the same time. And one commentator states that this is also the continuing conversion story of Peter. What we have in today's scripture readings are parallel conversion stories. Peter, a Jewish disciple, and Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, which means he is a commander of a hundred soldiers. Cornelius, we find, is a God-fearing man. He's a Gentile who worships the Jewish God. He gives alms generously and prays constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, Cornelius has a vision where he saw the Lord of God coming in. And a terrified Cornelius asks, What is it, Lord? I love that I I often seem to get these stories where angels are visiting someone, and it's always fun to put yourself in the shoes of that person receiving this scary visitor. The angel tells Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have have ascended as a memorial before God. Now I want you to send some people to the house of Peter. I find it interesting that the angel doesn't tell Cornelius to go to Peter but to send a delegation made up of servants and a trusted army friend. The angel doesn't give them instructions beyond go to Joppa and go to Simon Peter's house where Peter is lodging. He's a tanner. It's not a whole lot of information when you're going to a town to try and find someone. But Cornelius listens and he trusts the Lord and he sends them. The day after Cornelius had his encounter, we hear about Peter, who is on the roof at noon. He's going there to pray. He's hungry, and he needs to eat. And while the household was preparing a meal for Peter, he falls into a trance. Now, Peter has a vision, and in his vision, he sees the heaven open up, and something that looked like a sheet dropped down to the ground by its four corners. On this sheet are all kinds of four-footed animals, like we saw with Ryan's pictures. We have four-footed animals, reptiles, birds. A voice tells Peter to get up, kill, and eat. The good, obedient, religious Jew says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. This is a really big deal. The seriousness for God's chosen of the biblical laws about clean and unclean animals and food preparation found in Genesis and Leviticus 
cannot be overstated. These dietary laws were primary marks of the people of God, like keeping the Sabbath. This is how they are known, and this is how they know themselves. This is a very real dilemma for Peter. It is generations of teaching and adherence to laws that were not to be transgressed. But wouldn't you know it, God has something else in mind. The Holy Spirit is pushing. The Holy Spirit is shaping. Peter hears the voice say, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Apparently, Peter really needed for this lesson to sink in because this happens three times while he's up there on the roof that this vision reappears and it goes through this whole story three times up there. And understandably, Peter's very confused. His entire life, he's been taught to act and eat in certain ways. Now the Holy Spirit is telling Peter that it's all different? The Holy Spirit is shaping Peter and the future church. While Peter's up on the rooftop, very puzzled, this is when Cornelius' delegation appears to ask for Peter. While they wait downstairs, the Holy Spirit comes to Peter again and says, Look, you need to get up. Go down there without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter goes downstairs and says, I think I'm the one you're looking for. What's the purpose for your coming? And they tell Peter that Cornelius, a good God-fearing person who is well spoken of by the entire Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel just to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. And miraculously, Peter invites them into the home. And not only does he invite them in, he offers them hospitality for the night. I wonder if we can fully appreciate what it would be like for Peter to receive this message and then be summoned to a Roman centurion's home. Jesus, the disciples, and early church were all abused and some murdered by those in Roman rule. Not so long ago, we talked about disciples and Mary hiding in fear after Jesus was crucified. This would be a huge fear for Peter to overcome. Talk about that Holy Spirit pushing again. Peter gathers some fellow believers from Joppa and travels with the friends of Cornelius to Caesarea. Verse 24 makes me chuckle a little bit. It says, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all his relatives and close friends. Cornelius is so confident that the, of the angel's vision, it does not even seem to hold any possibility of a doubt in his mind that Peter will arrive as expected. After a really awkward greeting, Peter goes into the room and sees all of these people assembled. Before he even hears why Cornelius has sent for him, he shares this caveat. You yourself know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? 
Peter has had a life-altering shift in his belief system over the last 24 hours. He has processed what the vision was telling him and is ready to obey what has been revealed through the vision of what is unclean. God has made all clean. All are welcome into this banquet of faith. This is preparing him to welcome in the Gentiles and others into the baby Christian church. In verse 34, he's even more concrete in his statement to the room of Gentiles. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, Lord of all. God shows no partiality to anyone. The peace that passes all understanding is for all. Unfortunately, since those words were said, generations of the church have tried to dictate rules for does what is right is, rather than sharing the good news that God shows no partiality and all of us are clean and beloved. Who are we to say otherwise? Nadia Boltz-Weber, Lutheran preacher, says, Jesus is not the Lord of empire. Jesus is not the Lord of institutionalized religion. Jesus is not the Lord of domination. Jesus is the Lord of compassion. We are all on this continuing conversion with Peter, with each other. I want to share a little bit of my own story with you. I knew my own Cornelius. I was brought up in a really conservative church. Men in suits were the only ones that were able to be present up front unless you could play piano, organ, or sing. An American flag symmetrically balanced with the Christian flag up front. Sins were cataloged and referenced, some more than others. If it was a sexual sin, you had to go up in front of the entire congregation and apologize for your sin. Not if you cheated on taxes or abused your employees or secretly hurt your family, just the sexual sins. In this community, my friends and I grew up. There was a core group of about eight of us who were similar age and really close friends. We would spend Sunday afternoons at one another's houses and go back to church for the Sunday evening service, and then youth group. And in the summers, we went to family and youth camps. We attended and helped run vacation Bible schools every year. We were always at the church. Barry was one of my best friends. All through elementary, junior high, and high school, and into college, We knew early on that Barry was a little bit different in some way we couldn't quite name, but we certainly never talked about it. He was just Barry, and we all loved one another. As we got older, it dawned on us that Barry was gay. This didn't change anything for our friendship or with our group. Barry was Barry. It was just a label. But of course, in that time and place, it could not stay just a label. One day, Barry and an older college boy were spotted together. The sidewalk rolled up. The shutters rolled down. I'm not going to go into all the aftermath, but it was horrific. 
This beloved friend was shamed and shunned by the same people who had preached God's love for years, and they slammed the door shut on Barry. That was my awakening to the sickness that gets embedded into the institutional church, how scripture gets twisted to protect some and keep out what is perceived to be the other. I could not for the life of me understand. This was Barry. We loved him. He was our friend. I'm still heartbroken when I remember the day. His dear parents came to me, thanking me for still being their son's friend. As a parent and grandparent, the memory of this thought still breaks me. This is not some virtual signaling story for me. This is a recollection of trauma suffered by a beloved friend, of a community turning on its own, making him other because of some particular scripture interpretation where fear wins out over love. Too many times I have seen love being structured in hierarchical ways that would have love be wrong. Now, I am not talking about illegal actions or abuse. I am not talking about hedonistic self-gratification that gets labeled as love. I am talking about love. We are told over and over in scripture what love is. It's kind. It's patient. It's true mutual submission. It seeks the best for the other. It's not rude or arrogant. It does not insist on its own way. We are told to love God, love others, period. Why do we make it so complicated? Only to keep others out? Walter Brueggemann, in his article, The Ethical Dignity of the Other, states, the same move toward inclusion of those who are stranger is a major urging in the tradition. A mandate to welcome the stranger can be traced through the Bible. In the wondrous text of Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22, key summons to Israel in the culminating imperative is this. You shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Brueggemann continues, it cannot be any more direct than that. Love the stranger, love what is strange, Love what is unlike us. Embrace what is other. The Israelites could remember their own past history as strangers. And we can recognize in our own context that almost all of us here are immigrants or are from immigrant families. Almost all of us came to this land as outsiders, many without resources. The insistence of Moses is echoed in the singular mandate in Hebrews let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so that some may have entertained angels without knowing it. Hebrews 13, 1-2. I share my Cornelius story of Barry because he's no longer here to do so for himself. I long to speak about and for my friend my childhood church got it so wrong. 
They maintained an Old Testament way of rule-keeping instead of a New Testament kind of people-keeping. Our own church has had seasons where it's struggled with rule-keeping versus people-keeping. Barbara Brown Taylor put it this way, The only clear line I draw these days is this, When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. That self-canceling feature of my religion is one of the things I like best about it, she says. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. Let's take a moment and reflect. What are we possibly wrong about? What am I wrong about? Who are we keeping out? Who are we calling unclean? What opportunities are we denying people in the name of God? What opportunities are we denying ourselves in the name of God? Do we hear God's messenger telling us, Who are you to call unclean what I have made clean? What if, with grace and dignity, equality and justice, with truth and reconciliation, with inclusion and embrace, with you fill in your own blank. What is that particular belief we might need to examine? Who is the Cornelius in your life that you need to recognize as clean by God? Look at the amazing things that happened because Peter allowed the Holy Spirit to push and to prod, to mold and shape, to energize and change. Peter preached to Cornelius and the Gentiles, and they became believers and received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They extolled God and were baptized. This is the Gentile Pentecost. All because two people were prodded and pushed by the Holy Spirit. And listened. And even though they were confused, they moved out of old ways of doing things and were shaped into new ways of being. Then energetically traveled toward one another until they stood face to face and then alongside each other and finally began walking side by side forward. In John Philip Newell's Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, He says this, Many of us today are aware that the old order is not working, politically, socially, environmentally, religiously. Countless numbers of us from the Christian community have already lifted anchor and are sailing out of the harbor of our religious homeland. Even though we may not know where we're headed or how far we need to go, the good news is that we do not need to know exactly where we are headed. We can choose to be a part of an ancient spiritual practice of peregrination, leaving home or the comfort of the familiar in order to seek resurrection, new beginnings. Cornelius's conversion and Peter's ongoing conversion is our own conversion story. Cornelius and Peter is FBC's story. What is the next thing that we're evolving into? What is the Holy Spirit energizing us 
to do next. God, may we, like Cornelius and Peter, see your vision, listen to your word, and enthusiastically step into our own continuing conversion. Amen.